Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. It's a privilege for me to be um, in front of you this morning and, and share God's word. Uh, and I have to admit that sharing God's word on Good Friday is not always an easy task. Uh, as you know, it is Good Friday and as believers, we gather to remember the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we do so, allow me to first open up with a word of prayer, preparing our hearts so that we can hear what God has got for us this morning. Father, the songs that we sang are rich. They are true. And they really, God, bring joy in our hearts, knowing that Christ has done it all. He went willingly on the cross. He suffered your wrath. And at the end, he cried out, it is finished. Completing the work uh, you sent him to do here on earth. And he did it perfectly well. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you this morning. But as we want to remember your suffering, your passion, I pray that our hearts will be open and that something of you that we probably never knew before will be taught unto us. And as a result of it, O oh God, we will respond adequately by falling face flat before you with shredded hearts because our Lord has done the unimaginable and he did that for us. Speak to us, we pray, and bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen. As we want to remember the passion or suffering of Christ Jesus, our Lord, I have to admit that this is not an easy part of the Lord's life. Many Christians would like to think about Jesus' miracles, his great signs, his power over nature, over demons, over sicknesses, and his oratory authority as he engaged with Pharisees and scribes, always putting them in their place whenever they met. The reason why many Christians would like to focus on this aspect of Jesus' life is that we lack what is positive. We like what is good and what is attractive. And that about Jesus is great, many would say. And don't get me wrong, I agree that is great. Our Lord did extraordinary things. No man has done what he did. No man can compare with him in power, in wisdom, and in authority. However, it is going to be said to think only of him along those lines. Believers must know all there is to know about Jesus Christ. And if we claim to love him, then we need to make it our mission to know all there is to know about his words and works. 
You can't say that you love your wife, your husband, or your children, or your friends if you don't even know their birthdays, their favorite meals, hobbies, where they stay and what they like and don't like. They expect you to know everything there is about them and not just their names. It is therefore important for us to grow in our knowledge of Christ by making it our life mission. I'm here speaking to myself also because I don't think that I know my Savior as he ought to be known. While I attempt to discuss the suffering of Christ this morning with you, I have to admit that this is like a holy ground. This is where we bow down and fall face flat with shredded hearts before this Jesus when we grasp the magnitude and extent of what he experienced, not only physically, but also mentally for us. Generally, when we speak of the suffering of Christ, our minds are transported to Golgotha, to the crucifixion scene, certainly because it is important, if not the most important event of the Christian history of salvation. However, Jesus did not only suffer on the cross. The reality is that his entire life was marked by suffering and sorrow. Why am I saying that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, says this about Jesus Christ. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Let me read it again. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Isaiah is here telling us that the entire life of Jesus Christ was overshadowed by pain. Jesus was familiar with suffering. In fact, Stephen V. Reese in his sermon series on the servant song said the following, and I quote, Pain was a constant companion. There was never anybody who really understood him and the burden he was carrying. At all the most agonizing moments of his life, he's alone. He's alone in the wilderness, he's alone in the garden, he's alone in the darkness of Calvary. Constantly there were crowds around him demanding his attention, asking him to carry the weight of their problems. But he has got no one, no one on whom he can lean. No one to take the burden off him. No one to say, Come on now, you have done enough. I'll take over now. He's a man of sorrows and he carries those sorrows alone. Now allow me to read Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 to 46 for us. And from this passage and a few others, I want us to see that our Lord suffered intensely, both physically and emotionally, to secure our redemption. Therefore, we owe him our life. Matthew 26, 36 to 46. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. 
and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. 37. And taking with him Peter and his two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 40. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. When we read verse 36, which says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. It was late on Thursday night. After his intercessory prayer recorded in John chapter 17, verse 1 to 26, Jesus and his disciples went to the garden of Gethsemane. As they arrived, he took his inner circles, Peter, John, and James, a little further, leaving the eight probably at the gate and instructing them to sit there while he went over to pray. Now, this is what I referred to as holy ground. We are now going to be given insight into what transpired that late Thursday night as Jesus reveals to us the first of the two most somber and difficult moments of his life compared to the cross. We are going to see Jesus and the display of his emotions as we've never seen them before. Matthew takes us into a holy place where we see the man Jesus in intense emotional suffering and anguish like never before. And the first point I want to share with us is the emotional suffering of Christ. Look at verse 37b. The Bible says, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And another version would say, he began to be grieved and distressed. This verse gives us the indication that emotionally Jesus started to struggle. And even more than that, the struggle increased in intensity. 
The Gospels use these phrases to expose Jesus' emotions. He was sorrowful and troubled, like we saw in Matthew 26, verse 37. He was deeply distressed and troubled, according to Mark 14, 33. He was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, according to Matthew 26, 38, and Mark 14, 33. He was in anguish, Luke 22, 44. And being in agony, his sweat became like great drops of blood. Luke 22, 44. Can you feel the heaviness of these words as we hear them? They all convey the idea of intense sadness, intense anxiety, intense anguish, intense depression, and intense fear. Never before in the Lord's life we have ever come across this description of his emotions. The question therefore is, why is he feeling this way? Why sorrowful and troubled? Why so intensely sad? On one side, I believe, is Judas' betrayal. Jesus loved all his disciples dearly, including the one to betray him. In fact, in John chapter 13, verse 1, it reads, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This verse speaks of the love of Jesus for the twelve, meaning including Judas Iscariot. Jesus was saddened by his betrayal. But that's not all. He was also saddened by Peter who would deny him soon. He was also saddened by the eleven he loved and served because very soon they will all desert him. He was saddened by the betrayal, the denial, and the desertion of all those he loved, his closest companions. The struggle increased. When he thought of the nation of Israel to whom he was sent, they would scream tirelessly, uncontrollably, and vigorously at the top of their voices, crucify him! Thou even choose a criminal over him, opening the way to the beginning of his physical suffering. He will be beaten and scourged. His flesh will be ripped open with every lash that will land on his back. They will drill a crown of thorns down to his head. They will parade him and lead him to Golgotha, exhausted and humiliated. They will make him carry his cross and spit on him and mock him along the way. They will crucify him, nail his feet and hands, and mock him even more. Why is Jesus feeling deeply distressed and troubled, overwhelmed to the point of death and anguished? What we need to know is that Jesus is here in the garden at this moment 
relieving the pain and agony that awaits him the following day. He's anticipating the cross. He has spoken about his death before, but now he is moments away from experiencing its reality. He is now experiencing depression, loneliness, and the agony of suffering. The suffering here seems more than conceivable. The cross infinitely more than that. He is going to be crucified the following day. The eternal, self-existing, sinless, and perfect Son of God will now become sin. The righteous one will now be crushed by the full fury of God's wrath for bearing the sins of mankind. Can you therefore understand the depressing state Jesus is in as he prelives the cross? But it doesn't end here. Luke gives us even more insight into the kind of emotional distress and anxiety our Lord was in when he adds these words. Luke 22, 44. And being in agony, his sweat became like great drops of blood. Now, for your information, I am no medical doctor but I did a bit of reading to understand this phenomenon. Blood sweating is called hematohydrosis, also known as hematidrosis, and also amidrosis. It's a condition in which capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture causing them to exude blood. It occurs under conditions of extreme physical and emotional stress. And so what happened was Jesus, preliving the agony of the cross, is crying and sweating profusely. The extreme level of emotional stress is under, ruptures his capillaries. And blood comes flowing out of the sweat glands and mixes with the sweat, and it looks as if blood is being sweated from his body, then runs down his face and drips onto his clothing. The level of anxiety and anguish is absolutely unimaginable. Now, John MacArthur puts it this way. The struggle now is whether he is willing to go to the cross. It is so frightening. It is so fearful. It is so threatening. It is so terrifying that he wants to ask if there is any way it can be avoided. Second point. Jesus prayed and was strengthened. 
Let me ask you this question. And this is my challenge to ask this morning. What do you do when you feel anxious, stressed, sorrowful, overwhelmed, or anguished? Do you resort to anger or to alcohol? Or some unrighteous coping mechanism? I don't know what you are going through right now. I have no idea what challenges are yours. I don't know what challenges are yours in the context of family, of context of work, of relationship, of faith, and life in general. But we are going to learn something about Jesus here that he went to God in prayer when everything was difficult for him. In his time of great need, he went to the one whose resources for help are endless. The one the psalmist describes as our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of need. I want to urge you this morning, please cast all your cares and burdens unto him, for he cares for you. Verse 39. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let his cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples, verse 40, and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not watch with me one hour? 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, again, for the second time, you went away and prayed, my father, if this can pass, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Verse 44, and so leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. We are told in this section that Jesus prayed three times. And his prayer was literally this. My father, is this the the only way? Is this the only way? That's the sense we get from our Lord's prayer. We can sense the struggle in the beginning of his prayer. Yes, Jesus was fully man and fully God. He had a human nature and a divine nature. Yes, he did know his crucifixion was necessary, for he spoke about it like any human being. Sorry. Yes, he did know his crucifixion was necessary, for he spoke about it. But like any human being, he was dreading the pain and suffering to come that he wished there was another way. This does not mean the father forced the son to do something he did not want to do. No, and absolutely no. Jesus himself said, the reason my father loves me is that I laid down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. John 10, 17 and 18. Jesus willingly embraced his mission. In his agony, the father sent an angel to come down and strengthen him. Luke 22, verse 43. 
And this is what it says. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. Now, I want you to pause for a moment. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is superior to angels. Right? But in his agony and extreme anxiety and anguish and loneliness, he who is superior to angels, he through whom all things were made, is here strengthened by celestial being, inferior to him and one that worships him in heaven. Can you see that? Can you understand the intensity of his struggle? After praying, we get a sense that Jesus is now ready for what awaits him. For he says, verse 45b, See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. For the six, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus did not look behind after that. He is strengthened and ready for the cross. Ready to die. He will be arrested, trialed, falsely accused, condemned, beaten, scourged, humiliated, mocked, slapped, spat upon, then led to Golgotha to be crucified. And this will happen the following day, on Friday. As Mark 14.33 says, and I read, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him, so that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. Now, what? After all this. Why did Christ suffer all this? Why did he suffer emotionally and physically like this. Isaiah gives us the answer. 53 verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. Jesus suffered all of this for us, for our sins. 
We broke the law and commandments of God in specific ways, in thoughts, in words, and in deeds. We have not just done sinful things, but we are also sinful people at the core. The problem of sin is not just that we have done specific wrong things. It is not even that we have a twisted and perverted heart. It is that we rebelled against God. That we have wicked, that we have wickedly declared war against him. And that he has rightly declared war against us. He has sworn to punish your rebellion and my rebellion. So we see on the cross Jesus being punished for our rebellion by taking our place. He was punished to restore us to peace with God. And in case you didn't know, Calvary means punishing. It is the eternal and infinite God pouring out his infinite wrath against these helpless men. It is God treating the obedient one as the ultimate rebel. All the fury of God against men's rebellion, men's ingratitude, men's idolatry, it blazes out against this fragile being. That is the meaning of Calvary. Not just a man pierced by nails and spears and thorns. Not just a man broken by sorrow. But a man smashed by the armor of God's anger and driven into the outer darkness. A man scorched and gutted by the holy hatred of God against sin. He was punished. And his punishment was God's response to human rebellion. Why did he do that? He did it for you. And he did it for me. What a savior. What a Lord. He did it for us. Those sins were mine and yours. But they were laid on him. He was wounded for my transgressions. Those sins were mine, but they were laid on him. And this says what I want you to know. Those sins are no longer mine. They are his, or they were his. He made them his own, and he paid for them all. And he made peace with God on my behalf. And on your behalf, if you trusted in him. I am now forgiven. I am now in peace with God. The cross guarantees that all the consequences of my sin have been dealt with. This is true for me because I've trusted in the son of God. And the question is, have you? Have you trusted in the work of Christ? Have you trusted in Christ? Have you trusted in the gospel? 
if you have, you can rejoice in the Lord and you can praise and worship him because he has done good to you. But if you have not, this is a warning for you. The gospel is not so much an offer that you may politely accept or refuse according to your own pleasure. It is a command to turn from sin to Jesus. We have gotten into the habit of making the gospel into an offer because this is more socially acceptable in our culture. But strictly speaking, the gospel is not something lying around for people to take or leave as they choose to do so. If you have not trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to warn you today, and I want to beg you, please repent. If God crushed his own son for burying the sins of the world, if God crushed his own son for becoming sin, why would you think that God will go easy on you if you reject him? Christ died for you. Come to him in faith for the salvation of your soul. He did it because he loves you. And let me tell you this, there is no one in this entire universe who would love you the way God and Christ love you. Let's pray together. Father, I pray, and my prayer is to say thank you. Thank you for sending Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me, for my brother, and for my sister here this morning. Thank you for taking our place. Thank you for bearing our sin. And I pray if there is anyone in this room this morning who has not put their faith and trust in you, that you may work in their hearts, convict them of, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. But more especially, God, convince them that you love them. And that's why you sent Christ to take their place on the cross. Work in those hearts, O oh God, and may we fall on our knees, arms lifted, cry out to you, Lord, save us, for we are perishing. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for the gift of salvation. And thank you that he did it, and I've got nothing else to do. I give you thanks and praise. And I bless your name, O oh great God, the Savior of our souls. Be glorified, magnified today and forever for doing good to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.